Welcome to the NACA American Dream Program. Each week, we'll talk about how NACA is revolutionizing mortgage lending with the best mortgage in America. It's no down payment, no closing cost or fees, no PMI, no consideration of your credit score. And guess what? It's at a below market fixed rate. NACA is just relentless. This is the NACA way. Hey, we're back for another Monday morning, Monday afternoon show with my folks. We got an awesome, awesome show planned for you on NACA's American Dream Program. We have Eric Exum back by popular demand. He is back, guys and ladies. So, uh, any, you know, he's here. So, Anjanette, let's let's go over to Texas. What's going on? How was your weekend? What did you do? What was going on? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Damien. It is a beautiful Houston, Texas day. Uh, I'm loving today. The sun is shining. It's a nice crisp morning. All that hot humidity is gone. It was kind of foggy this morning, but the sun burnt that off. And it is a beautiful day to be out house shopping in the hood, just looking for these beautiful homes in the market with our NACA mortgage that at, at what a 30 year is at a 2% interest rate today and yeah. a 15 years at a 1.375 you can't beat that with a stick so it is a beautiful day here in Houston Damien and we had a great weekend NACA had another job fair and we brought in some beautiful talented people I am so happy of all the talent that we're getting uh, when we're doing those job fairs so you know, you guys keep it coming. Uh, you can always look at the careers that we have on www.naca.com. And for today, you've already gave it up. You gave up our look, our, our little <laughs> nugget that we have. This is backed by popular demand. This is his trilogy today, everybody. So give up the hearts. Give them up for the Eric Exum, who is joining us from the mortgage department. And he is going to come back here today because we didn't, we never have enough time with Eric because Eric always tells us so many good, helpful hints on how to get our files through the mortgage and underwriting process and how to get it qualified, clear conditions so that we can go ahead on and get out there and shop for these beautiful houses and make our home ownership dream a reality. So Damien, thank you for bringing Eric back. Eric Exum, we are so happy to have you. Hearts going up. Always happy to be here. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we, we just love what you did last time and the relationships that we formed from the last show, Eric. And one of the young ladies, I think, said it best that the last time you were here, she said she appreciate you being so real and giving her real information on her housing search and on how she can get through this NACA process because it really is real for her. It's life-changing. And she appreciated the fact that you took it just that serious. Uh, you being at the level that you are, Eric is a national director, has been with the company for over 10 years. So his tenure here, it speaks for itself, but his tenacity and his relentlessness of trying to make sure he does what he set out to do and that's live by the NACA's mission is just un, it's, it's, it's undescribable, Eric, and your commitment is unquestionable. It's there. And even, even the, the people that were calling in, they saw it and they asked for you back. So thank you. 
I'm happy to be back. You know, we do what needs to be done and we do it because we love our membership and, you know, we have issues out there and without NACA, many low and moderate income people would not have the opportunity to be homeowners. So anything we can do to assist in the process, we're here to get it done. Absolutely. And yes, Keisha, she is right. She said, you got him back. You got the goat. He is the goat, the greatest of all time. We got the goat back, Eric. So, hey, that title is duly noted and it is it is warranted and it is truly earned. Eric, we we look to that wisdom that you have. And I, I, I I'm going out on a limb when I say I believe you've seen it all. I don't think there's a, a, a roadblock that you haven't come across that, that you carrying that knack of torch can't hurdle over. Uh, am I right when I say that? Um, well, I do my best. I've been here for a while, 18 years. I started as a home buyer and purchased through the NACA program in 2003 and kept doing testimonials. And the same year, I just uh, couldn't believe what NACA did for me. And I... Came on board in 2003, same year to try to try my best at offering my skill set to the organization, our membership, you know, help bridge that wealth disparity gap in our country and do what needs to be done. Great. Yes, Erica, thank you for your call. She said, yes, he's back. He is back. <laughs> so again, I mean, this is the this is the Eric Exum fan club that's reaching out right now. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. It says a lot about you. It does. Well, and, uh, you know, I'm here to help people become homeowners. So anything I can do, I'm ready. He's giving great information. So you can't help Absolutely. but be a fan of someone who's real and give you great information all in the same rapid. I mean, you don't Absolutely. Eric, one of the questions that have already come through, and thank you, Miami, for this question. Um, they want to try to buy a home that was previously an investment home. Uh, it was used for tour oh tourists. It was used not tours. It was used for tourists and things like that. Um, she's asking, would there be any roadblocks on clearing for conditions if she gets an investment property or what was an investment property? I don't think it would matter. But is are there anything? Is is anything she should look for or hazards? Absolutely, and it's a really good question because there's two pieces to it. One. If the house was purchased in less than one year ago, then it is a true flip if they're selling it for more than 10% of what they paid for it. And all of that's a matter of public record. So you do have to keep an eye, watch for that. Does it mean you can't make the purchase? It simply means the seller is going to have to document any improvements to the property through receipts, et cetera, to show why it's more valuable or that much more valuable than the 10% from less than a year ago. If, if the current owners owned it for more than a year, then there's no challenge with making the purchase to the program. The second piece though, that makes it a really good question is, just like when you buy a rental car, if you buy a property that has, that's investor owned and has a lot of flow through, just make sure you get a really good inspection and buy the extra evaluations, you know, HVAC, electrical, plumbing, you know, make sure you get it really thoroughly inspected because investors tend to kind of patch the true deep problems with the property rather than fix them. Are they do, is that basically doing surface? You know, they just make it look pretty. It's exactly right. You know, it's, you know, in my, in my youth, you know, cars and motorcycles selling them, you know, people would shove rags underneath so you couldn't see the oil leak instead of fixing the oil leak. 
you know, I equate that to houses, right? You know, people make it smell good and, and look good on the surface. But when you dig into the true systems and the bones of the house, we call it, you know, the, the true foundation, the structure of the house, if there's problems there, they don't go away and they're really expensive to fix. Now, Eric, when you also say that within this whole process of like her wanting to purchase, that the appraisal is an integral part in now selling or buying a house that has been, you know, flipped less than a year and all of that. What is that process and how does that work? Because I don't, I think many people don't really understand the appraisal process and it's so mysterious, but it's happening. You just don't know what's happening. So the, so the whole idea of an appraisal, it's an inspection from a disinterested party who looks at market conditions and the value of the property. The idea is that you don't, you the buyer, don't overpay for the property and the bank the, who holds the collateral has enough collateral on the property in case something happens and needs to be sold quickly. Um, so it's a really important part to get the appraisal. It can also be frustrating if the appraisals are coming in low and you know other people are buying houses at a higher price. Um, but, but what I would say to everyone is it's, it, it can look confusing to read an appraisal, but when you receive it, read it line by line. Once you just read it slowly, everything makes sense. It's, you know, there's not hidden terminology. And if, if you don't know what something means, just call your mortgage counselor and they'll assist you. Uh, and your real estate agent, of course, can, can assist you with the appraisal, appraisal as well. Um, but to your point, Damien, the appraisal talk, you know, mentions things like the last time it was sold, chain of title, the parcel ID number. These are all things that need to match to the title work on the, on the file um, that the settlement agent's going to provide. Thank you, Eric. And Vanessa is asking if you, if, if she had a bankruptcy, had her, had a bankruptcy, can she still get a house through NACA? Absolutely. So we'll work with anyone for as long as it takes, as as it takes. to become a homeowner. It, this process is designed that virtually anyone can make it through in six months. Now, it might be a very intense six months. You know, and the biggest challenges that'll take the most amount of time are payment history. So that falls in the bankruptcy category. Income stability, make sure you have, you've been, you have enough months of documenting and demonstrating that you have stable income and the minimum required funds. So, you know, some of us true and low moderate income people might have some challenges saving enough money because even though you have no down payment, no closing costs, you do have costs to close. That's your prepaid, your taxes, your insurance, your interim interest. If you're buying into a homeowners association, sometimes they'll have an upfront fee. If you're buying owner's title insurance, which generally speaking, I recommend, you'll have to pay for that. So you do need some money to close. And for you know, working people coming up with an extra $3,500 $3, you know, to close um, can be challenging. If, especially if we didn't get our money back from what we put up on when we were renting. So usually you'll pay first and last month's rent, you know, so you'll have a little extra money and we do require reserves when you close. So those are the three biggest challenges. Generally speaking, it shouldn't take more than six months to qualify. If you really set work with your counselor, set up a game plan and really do every step, that means saving money. That means paying everything on time. That means reducing debt usually. Um, and if you stay on course, you can qualify quicker. For most people with extreme situations, bankruptcy, foreclosure, it could take 12 to 24 months to qualify. So it depends on how long ago the bankruptcy was, what was included, and what you've done since. 
Makes sense. Now, is there a difference between whether you did a chapter seven or a chapter 13? Because some people have done either or. Uh, excellent question. Yes, big difference. So a chapter seven, when you filed it, you got rid of your debt. You, you were not in a repayment plan. The, the judge and trustees determined that, or the judge determined that you can't afford to repay any of the debt. And you've given up whatever assets or properties, or you didn't have them. So you are allowed to file chapter seven. A chapter 13, they'll do a debt reduction. It's basically a debt consolidation with a payment plan with the protection order of a bankruptcy. Gotcha. So in a 13, you're actually repaying a portion, and in some cases, all of the debt. Usually people file a 13 to save something, save their house, um, yeah, possibly even cars. It's called reaffirming. Mm-hmm. Um, that, kept, that gets the arrears put into the pay- payment plan so someone can keep making the payments and stay on track. So the big difference is a chapter seven applies to what I discussed earlier. Generally speaking, it'll take about a year out of bankruptcy minimum, sometimes two, depending on the circumstances, uh, to get qualified and be able to go out shopping. With a chapter 13, the payment plan is a minimum of 36 months and go between 36 and 60 months. If you're in a 36 month payment plan, the day after you make your last payment, you can qualify to make the purchase. The day after. Ah, so you're telling man. me that with a bankruptcy, the day after I make that on a chapter 13, the day after I make that last payment, I can go in and qualify and, and apply and go through the NACA program. I'm good. I'll, to do go. you, I'll do you one better than that. Not only the day after can you qualify, but we'll use your payments in your chapter 13 as part of your payment history to show that you've recovered and you can make on time payments. What? Wow. Are you kidding that, me? Whoa. Whoa. Oh my God. You guys throw some forced- hearts up because that that I don't even know if you really realize what he just said. He basically, Eric Exum just told us that your downfall in your past don't have to be your downfall in your future. He's going to let that be your footstool to catapult you to home ownership for your next life, for your next level, for your next grace. I love it. Eric. I can't say things the way you say it, but I love the way you just said that <laughs> because that's exactly what NAC is all about, right? Yeah. It's, it's looking at the past and saying, okay, I can recover from anything that's happened. And some people can recover faster because they're working harder in a shorter period of time. And some people it takes longer because slow and steady. So either one works with this program. We will work with people as long as it takes to become a homeowner. Never yeah. let somebody's past become the roadblock for the future. I love it. I wow. love it, Eric. Eric, just, that was... You, he just, you just gave some people some motivation who thought they didn't even have any hope. So thank you for, for giving them the real, throwing up the hearts on the real and giving it to them just like it is. Thank you, Vanessa, for that for that question. I'm going to keep it rolling because your line, you're, you're a hotline, Eric. We're, we're going here. Um, the next question comes from Sheena. And I think I know the answer to this. We always cover it. And I know Eric has covered this before, but Sheena, you may have missed it. Eric, how long does the mortgage process take roughly? So if you're talking about mortgage process, that means you're already in contract, you've already done your 1003 application and your hard file went to bank. If there's no, if it's not a new construction, of course, if it's new construction, you have to wait for the property rebuilt. And if there's not a repair escrow, you know, you, you have to clear the hand department first. So those are the two that take longer. If those are not the case, we are 21 days at bank. So, so you can expect days. to close 21 days after your full package goes to bank. Yep, 
21 days. And, and that's, again, you can't beat that with a stick. Marilyn is asking, I'm self-employed. Is my gross used or is the net used? Oh, great questions again. So we do something really unique with self-employed and it depends on the type of self-employment. We're not one that does a two-year average um, of your tax returns, unless that just works for your ratios. What we're going to do is we're going to take one year of what you filed for self-employment, your Schedule C, or if you're doing a 1065 or 1120, then we're going to take 12 months of bank statements and watch your actual cash flow. So the short answer is the net, because over 12 months, you're going to mark right on your bank statements, this is a business deposit. This is a business expense. And we're going to use your bank statements to be what is, in effect, a profit and loss statement. We will average that with what you filed last year, because frankly, most people file taxes with the purpose of paying the least amount of taxes, but it doesn't tell your true income or your true cash flow. So what NACA does is we actually look at your bank statements to understand your cash flow, understand your affordability, and we underwrite to that instead of what you filed on your taxes. We underwrite to your 12 months bank statements. Pretty cool. I love I it. I like that. Marilyn? So, so you Wow. So in this example, you're saying if if my bank statement, my, my uh, tax return says I make 80, but by the time I get through, I say I make 40, but my bank statement say I make 100, you're going to underwrite to the 100 and not to the 40 on my tax return. Correct. So we can underwrite um, three, three different ways. We can take oh. the two-year average of your most recent two years filed. Most people, that, that's not enough, but that's the easiest, right? It's the least amount of documentation. You just have two years of tax returns. So we can average those. So the result of, of your two-year Schedule Cs, you, know, you add them together, divide by 24, and that's your monthly income. If that works, great. Second way, we take the most recent year, and then we take 12 months of your bank statements. Look at your cash flow in those bank statements. So to your point, say you filed and said you made 40000 and your bank statements document that you made 80000 we could split the difference and underwrite you to 60,000. If that uh, still doesn't get, correct. If that still doesn't get us there, then we can do exactly what you just said. We can use just the bank statements. So in our contracts with lenders, we can adjust up or down if down makes sense, you know, what's happening in the bank statements. So we can look at the 12-month average of the bank statements and use just that if we needed to underwrite to the full 80,000. I love this because this is what I call, this is not creative financing. This is called customizing a plan to fit your customers or members need. And that's what you just did. You just gave our barbershops, our, our beauticians, our nail technicians, our, our real estate agents who are 1099. You know, you just gave our truck drivers and all of them a way to make it. And you know, throw up some hearts, everybody, because that's real. That's paramount. Because what he just did is said NACA is a custom fit. It's not a box that you got to fit in. He just customized a plan that is for you. So take advantage of it. I love it. I love it, Eric. And, Damon, and I'm so glad that you get it like that because we, we literally did it that way because a more savvy person might realize that banks use a two-year average and people can just lie on their tax returns, right? Even if I don't make $150,000 a year, but I'm trying to buy a house, I can claim I do just to qualify for the mortgage. 
or vice versa. You know, like I said, most lower income people or lower moderate income people try not to pay as much in taxes so they understate their income. So what we find is some people overstate their income on their taxes to meet a certain goal, others meet understate. So we're looking for the truth and the bank statements tell your truth. So, Tells it all, the numbers don't lie. I love it. I just simply love that, Damien. That means that we have we have people out here that have a fighting chance and NACA is giving them a fighting chance. I love it. NACA, it, it, as, as the commercials say, is relentless. But Eric, I do have an interesting question to ask. If there's two in the household, do you necessarily have the option, say, my wife makes $150,000 and I make $60,000, and now with a combined income to purchase a home, it will put us in non-priority, whereas I say, uh-uh, baby, you stay off and I'll get the house, but I'll put you on the deed so you can have some ownership. But do you have that option as people to say, I don't want the wife on here, even though we're married, same household, join everything? Yes. During the counseling period, you want to make sure that we understand the entire finance of the, of the household, because our goal, of course, is to make sure you're successful in long-term homeownership and you can sustain the payment. In terms of priority and non-priority, yes, you can apply with one applicant, even though both of you have incomes. Keep in mind that will generally reduce the amount you can qualify for because you still must meet the ratios. And we're still going to do our calculations now based on one applicant, one applicant instead of the true um, cash flow of the household. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Makes perfectly perfect sense. Dawn is asking a question. Can you purchase land and a prefab home in California with this program, with the NACA program? And she's basically saying that because the housing, the housing market in California is terrible. I I love this forum because these are the kind of questions I like to ask. These are the tough ones, right? So Dawn, you can absolutely do that, but here's how it's going to work. First, you qualify with NACA. So you understand your affordability and what you know you're going to get a loan for. So step one, qualify, understand the payment that's within your affordability. And and again, if you're not happy with that payment, you can continue working with your counselor and the counselor will work with you longer so that you can get an increased payment. But once you get comfortable with the payment that you qualify for, then what you'll do is you'll get, there's two ways to buy a new construction. If there's a developer and a builder who builds it, and then there's title for that property, they can sell it to you. They did it at their own cost, and now they're selling it to you. Typically, there's more profit for them like that. The other way to do it is what's called a construction loan. So you'll go out and get your own loan. You'll find your custom builder, or or you're going to find the builder, have them build on that piece of land. At, and you're going to finance it so they have the materials and they're paying for the cost of the building while it's being built. Again, it's called a construction loan. Once the property is finished and it becomes titled as real estate, then with, with a construction loan, they have 90 days to pay that off to a, you know, a full-term loan. That's what you would do. Of course, you don't want to wait the whole 90 days. Right after it's finished, you have title for the property, it's real estate. Then NACO would finance that loan pay off the construction loan and do the financing. And now you have a NACA mortgage with a new construction. Eric, that seems interesting, but I'm a little lost in the piece of how this is going to affect your DTI because you've just gotten a loan over here for the land and to do the work, but you're also trying to qualify over here for NACA 
you know, for a certain amount. So I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on understanding how is that inner, inner working? Oh, the construction loan won't impact your debt to income ratios at all for the NACA loan, because remember, it's being paid off. So just like okay. any other loans. So, um, you know, it's historically, people often pay off debt with proceeds from a loan, especially in a refinance. Think about it in terms of refinance. So once you pay that debt off, it's no longer factored in your debt to income ratios. So yeah, since the construction loan is being paid off, then it's not factored in your debt to income ratios. Awesome. Like that. Woo. Eric? Florida is calling for you. Uh, and, and guys, you know what? If I can get him there, I'm going to try to make it happen for you. Orlando and Tampa are saying, Eric, can you come do a learning session in the Orlando and Tampa area? We all would come. So they're asking you to consider that. So it's something to think about. Uh, I'll absolutely consider it. It's getting cold in North Carolina. You know, as it gets cold, <laughs> I'll do like a virgin and go south. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I mean, it, obviously, you, you're, you're, you're giving some good information, answering a lot of questions that people have. And so they're asking, this is like the fourth Orlando or Tampa question that we've had so far. Um, another person is saying, um, and Tina, thank you for your comment, Tina. She owns her own nonprofit and wants to know if she could use that as her income. Yes, nonprofit does not mean that you don't have cash flow, right? So it's a self-employment job if you own your own and you can absolutely use it as income. You know, the key is, do you have the cash flow to sustain a mortgage? Once, if you're paying rent now and you're not increasing your debt, depleting your savings, and you're paying your other obligations on time, you know that's a payment you can afford. If you're saving consistently every month, so say you're paying $1,000 a month in rent, and again, you're not increasing debt, you're not depleting your savings, you're paying your obligations on time. We already know you can afford $1,000 a month and you're going to qualify for it. But if you're saving another thousand on top of that month after month after month, now we know you can afford $2,000 and so on. So we're going to look at your rent plus your savings pattern. So it really doesn't matter whether you're W-2 employed, self-employed, nonprofit, for-profit. You know, of course, we love working with our nonprofit um, partners and, and people who are passionate about helping other people, generally that's when they start nonprofits. But any of that income works for the, for the NACA um, mortgage pr program. Makes sense. Wow. Hey, Eric, Carolyn is in, is in South Houston. And hey, Carolyn, how are you? Uh, South Houston is calling in. I love that. But she's in South Houston. She is actually, she's in the housing search process. She's looking for a home and she's having a hard time getting a decent insurance rate. And I'm guessing, Carolyn, it is due to we're Hurricane Alley here. Uh, we share that title with Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. But I'm thinking that may be it. Eric, do you see that a lot as a hindrance or what kind of advice would you give Carolyn? Um, it, can, it can certainly hinder. So a couple of things I would say. You're exactly right. In areas that have a history of major storms where insurance companies had to pay out, of course, they charge more, right? So just be really careful of layering that. For example, you know, personally, I would try to avoid flood zones because you're going to pay your hazard insurance, which is already going to be high if the, that area has a history of payouts. And then you're going to pay flood insurance on top of that. So be careful. You know, that's a way you can save some money. The other way is shop, shop, shop for insurance. It is crazy out there. I shop every year. So 
Different than auto insurance. So in auto insurance, when you buy the policy, you buy it in a term, six months, a year, whatever it is. If halfway through you decide to change companies, you pay a penalty. Federal law does not allow for a penalty with homeowner's insurance. So you can be halfway through the policy period, find a much better deal and change insurance companies, lowering your payment without any penalties at all. So every year I shop. Now, here's what's crazy and here's what everyone needs to know. I currently pay $719 a year in insurance, which is a pretty good deal. I, I had companies offer $1,400, $2,600, and I mean the exact same insurance. Now, I only shop, personally, I only shop major name brands of insurance that I've heard of before because I don't want something to happen. God forbid the house burned down or something, and then I'm dealing with a small company that either went out of business or is just very difficult. And, you know, the, they can't handle not the claim. Then they can't handle claims. That's yeah. exactly right. So when I say major companies, you know, the stuff you heard of before, the Geico's, the Amicas, the State Farms, the Progressives, and so on, um, the Liberty Mutuals, those are, those, these are all companies I've had my personal homeowner insurance with. They, they shop for your business. They fight for your business. So I bounce around year after year, keeping my payment very low. It's the only advice I can really give for those higher cost insurance areas. I love that. I never would have thought of that because I've been, and my son always sings the song, Nation, what is on you? <laughs> so he always sings that song because he see he knows that's what we deal with. But Eric, that is actually good. And I'm going to do that this weekend. I didn't realize I should be out, you know, constantly, at least annually shopping for insurance, trying to get the better rate. I've just been with them forever and allow them to, my rates go up and down and things like that and never paid any attention to it, you know, so. And bundling oh, insurance so. helps. You know? Yes, so a that's lot of what my, I was about to say. Bundling. A lot of my program, that's exactly right. The reason I'm with the company I'm now because you know, my son turned of age and started driving. So when I add the extra vehicle, you know, in addition to, you know, the house, the motorcycles, the cars, everything, um, they came down on everything across the board. And I'm actually paying, <laughs> I'm barely paying that much more, even after adding my son, who's a teenager, um, because I got such a break on my homeowner's insurance. Wow. I understand my yeah. assignment this weekend, and I'll, be, uh, I'll make sure I complete my assignment. <laughs> and sometimes you have to ask. They don't always offer, because if you stay on there and you haggle with them, oh, well, let me find you this. And you, they found three or four more discounts, and you're like, well, why you didn't just say that in the beginning? But you really have to ask. Um, for a lot of discounts because they don't always just tell you. Right. And you're exactly right. Uh, the last tip on this, and I could probably talk about this forever, but the last tip on this is just like if you're shopping for a mortgage, send the broker or agent that you're working with for the insurance your previous quote. If somebody else is offering for 824, give it to them. Say, can you beat this? They're offering for 824. Can you get me to 750? Um, exactly what you said, Damien. You know, it's a business, right? People don't just give things away. So you have to do your homework, you have to do your research. And you have, you know, and for me, I find that it works to have them compete against each other for your business. Exactly. And comparing apples to apples. That's, that's the most right. important thing. Right. We got a really good question as it relates to COVID right now. And Vanessa, thank you again. Um, because of COVID-19, had some job loss. Uh, uh, when you lose your job and you go to a new one, do you take the time that you was out of work as lost employment? How do you factor that in? 
Um, so we focus on income, not employment. So gaps in income are more significant because that, that, that's an indicator of whether you were able to maintain your obligations, you know, including your housing payment. Um, although I've, I've written some different policy with the understanding of COVID to where no, in, the, in the past, if there were any significant gaps in employment, significant defined as 30 days or more, um, then you would really need an entire year without any significant gaps. If it, we can document, if you can document that it's COVID related, which, which makes sense, um, we won't factor that gap in employment as long as your current income is very stable. So we'll contact your employer, get an employment verification. If they say the likelihood of your continued employment is good or excellent and it's very stable, then we'll, we'll move forward. Understanding the gap was COVID related. Wow. Um, the same would wow. be true for a medical gap. The same would be true, you know, some people take off time when they have their first children or even past their first children. So all those are good reasons why, you know, we would have, we would not look to basic policy of 12 months without gaps, you know, as long as you can fully document there was something unique about your situation. And, you know, although COVID's not unique, it's unique to, you know, this generation. That's correct. I love it. And wow. again, customizing things to fit, um, our members' needs. And once again, a customized fit. Um, Ashley, thank you for this question because I know it's going to come up and it did come up on our on our telephone lines. And again, if you guys are out there, you can reach us at 833-771-0500 and keep them going up because the questions are coming through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as our toll-free number. So the next question is coming from Ashley. She's been on an income-based payment uh, since 2016 with a monthly payment of 0.1. She did call Fed Loans to see if she could get it off. Um, she found out that she would be paying $200 a month, but she need to be paying $70 or less per month. Is there anything else she can do that would not hinder her through this process? Okay, so some basic terminology you used. I understand that Ashley's talking about a student loan. Correct. Okay. So, um, so definitely, Ash Ashley, apply for the income-based repayment program or, or contingent payment program. Um, the, the, they're all, they all fall under the umbrella of income-driven payment programs, but based or contingent tend to work really well for this, for this program. So they'll, what they'll do is they'll look at your income and give you the lowest possible payment. If they did and they said the payment is zero, which happens, we do have to acknowledge some payment. That payment can literally be a dollar. So you'll provide the documentation that you applied and was approved for an income-driven plan and your payment is zero. Then you'll go on to the student loan calculator, the Fed loan that the, the federal government sanctions, and your NACA counselor can give you the website for that, um, or we can post it um, as part of this. Um, be happy to do that. But you'll go on that, it'll, and you plug in your information. Just make sure your income, your household sizes, it's all consistent with your what your mortgage application is going to be. That will now project, even though you're you're in a plan that estimator will project a range of payments. So they'll say your payment might be from zero to $100 a month. Once we have that range documented, we can now use that with our participating lenders and use anything in that range. Like I said, we can use $1 because that $1 is between zero and 100 a month. So we can always use an income-driven fund. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if you don't have a, a large student loan, most people don't realize that student loans are very negotiable. 
So for example, say you have, you know, just for easy math, if you have $10,000 of student loans out there and you've been making payments, you can, you can call the U.S. Department of Education or whoever is backing your loan and say, will you accept a one-time payment of $7,000 and be done with this loan? And they often will. Oh, wow. Well, there it Did is. Not know that. So, so y'all with them twenty, forty, fifty thousand dollars student loans, Eric just gave the key to the mid. Call them and make an offer and let them know what you're what you're able to do and see if they'll take it. Nothing beats us beats a failure, but a what? But a try. So let's try Who it out. Knew? Throw them hearts up, Eric. That was a key to the mid right there. Throw the hearts up for Eric Exum, because that was it. Um, I practice what I preach. I'll tell you, it worked for me. There you go. Who knew? There you go. Who knew? Wow. <laughs> I love it. Y'all getting all these nuggets. They getting the nuggets. They getting them all. Now, Marilyn says, and thank you, Marilyn. Marilyn say, I also heard that NACA looks at what you paid into for rent. And what she's trying to say is NACA's looking at your rental payments uh, as consideration. And she's saying, is that true? I know it is. But Eric, do you want to nail this one and, and send it on home? Absolutely. So your rent payment, your housing payments, is going to be the closest thing you have to a mortgage, right? So, you know, people have car payments, student loans, which you just talked about, credit card payments, and there's a hierarchy for all of that. If I want to know how you're going to pay your mortgage, the best thing for me to look at is how you paid your housing payment before that, rent. So absolutely, it all starts with rent. As I explained earlier, if, if, you can, if you're paying, you know, $1,000, $1,500 a month in rent every month without fail for a year, your debts are not increasing. You're not depleting your savings or your nest egg in order to maintain your rent. And you're paying your obligations on time. We know you can afford the $1,500. Anything on top of that you save. So rent is key to affordability for us understanding and you. You know, it's one thing for NACA to understand your affordability. It's more important that you, the member, understand your affordability. And it's too late once you close on your house to find out, oh, my goodness, I'm struggling. I'm house poor. I can't put anything in my house. I don't have furniture. I can't get back and forth to work because gas prices are going up and I'm so tight on my house that as gas prices go up, I can't even handle, you know, putting gas in my car. You don't want to live like that. Prior to qualifying, you make the adjustments to your budget. You make sure you're comfortable with what your affordability is. And I know, I know prices of houses are out there. They're crazy right now. And I know, you know, we want to be homeowners, but the biggest mistake you can make is getting an unaffordable payment because there's nothing worse than getting into homeownership and then you can't sustain it. And or being a homeowner reduces your lifestyle instead of improves it. And it's a stress that you cannot even imagine. So what Eric is saying is, you know, what, what you're going to do is work very closely with your NACA counselor. Your counselor is going to counsel you for an affordable payment. And guess what? That's gonna, that counseling is going to be paramount. It's going to be key to the successfulness of you owning your home and maintaining your home. What Eric is saying is he doesn't want to see you now get your dream home and be so stressed out and trying to meet the payments and everything that goes into home ownership that you now can't even afford to enjoy it. That that's not that's not how it's designed for us to live. And we want to we want to live and enjoy our beautiful home because it is truly the biggest investment you'll ever have. So thank you. I I also mentioned that that with that affordability, one thing that NACA does say if they give you a thousand dollars monthly payment, Mm -hmm. they're also going to consider in there to make sure that you can pay the HOA, which may be two hundred dollars 
or two fifty dollars a month. So all of that will be included, your principal, your interest, your taxes, and your insurance, and your HOA. Whereas when you go outside of NACA and you're going to get a loan, they don't calculate that $250, that $200 a month. And now you're like, wait a minute, I got to pay this every month. And here's the problem. If you don't, the HOA can foreclose on your home. So NACA makes sure that all of that is in your affordability, your HOA and everything. Setting realistic expectations. That's what we do. Yes, ma'am. So Stephanie asked a good question. Stephanie asked, what are the costs that are associated within the closing? Oh, great. It's a great question. Um, It depends on if you're buying into an HOA or or what your choices are. So what you're going to bring to closing, what each NACA member brings to closing, are your prepaid taxes and insurance. So when you close on a mortgage, you don't pay your mortgage the month you close and the next month the month after you close, you pay nothing. So they're not collecting what's called your escrows the month you close or the next month. So we just talked about insurance. So I'll use that as an example, your insurance escrow. You buy a 12-month policy. But if I'm not making a mortgage payment this month or next month, even though it's divided into 12ths, because it's divided by 12, and one 12th goes with my mortgage payment every month, if I don't make a mortgage payment this month or next month, but I own it effective today, there's two months missing when my insurance bill comes due 12 months from now, because you only collected 10 months in the first year, not 12. So when you close, you're going to have to have that extra two months and you pay that up front, in addition to the whole one-year policy for insurance. Because, you know, I hate to talk about houses burning down, but, you know, your house can't burn down. Then you buy insurance. You have to pay for the insurance and then you're covered for the year. Insurance in is paid in advance, not in arrears. You know, cable bill, right. you pay in arrears. Insurance, you pay in advance. And the same thing for taxes. So the taxes, it depends on which tax jurisdiction you're in. Most of the country pays t- property taxes in arrears, but some jurisdictions pay in advance. And if you pay in advance, you bring a bit more to closing. So you need money for taxes and insurance. Those are prepaids. You also, even though you don't make a mortgage payment the month you close, you pay the interest for the number of days left in that month. So you have your taxes, your insurance, that's called per diem or interim interest. So you have those three. Everyone who closes has those three costs. Then then some people choose to buy owner's title insurance. So it's called owner's coverage title insurance. That means if somebody comes out of the woodworks that, you know, the seller never had the right to sell that. Now I was, I inherited a piece of that property. You know, I, there's something due me. You don't own hundred percent. The insurance will cover that, pay them off and you'll be fine. So, and especially what happened in the mortgage crisis, there are a lot of properties that had some pretty shady um, what we call paper, you know, the, the proof of ownership. Right. Um, so I generally recommend uh, owner's coverage um, if, if you can afford it. And that's usually, you know, that can be a good range from $750 to $2,500 yeah. in addition. And the final piece is the homeowners association. Um, if you have one often, and that's, that's usually nominal, five dollars $600 that you pay up front at closing. And then be careful. Be careful that your agent didn't negotiate that you're going to pay anything else. So in this market where it's tough to get the accepted deal, sometimes agents will throw things in, the buyer will pay the seller's closing cost. Well, if you agree to do that, you have to have the money to do that. 
Wow. I have so many questions on that right now, but I'm not going to take up your time because Cynthia, Robin, Javard, Ozzy, Marcia, <laughs> we got so many people waiting right now. So I'm not going to, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to just keep it moving. But I do want to come back to that eventually. And if time permits and ask about that, because I just, I mean, you just shed some light on a lot of things for a lot of us. Um, this is a good one, Cynthia. Thank you. Her question is regarding the rates. She's, she's basically saying the rates are very low, but can you shed some light on the $25,000 loan? And that that's some terminology right there because it's not a $25,000 loan. I think she's talking about the lien. And then she say, if I refi after five years, do I have to pay it back? You know, because she bought her home with NACA. Let's talk about that. Great questions. Mm. So when you, and I'm going to speed up a little bit because I see there's some great questions and I'm, I'm going to go fast, but um, make sure I'll, I'll try and be very clear. Correct. When you close with NACA, we're going to record a security instrument. That's to protect our program from investors. That's to protect us from you buying the house and then renting it out. So we put a $25,000 lien that if you try that, we'll capture that lien and force you out of the property. We'll actually for, um, foreclose on you. In addition, what, what that lien speaks to is the Neighborhood Stabilization Agreement, which tells you that the $25,000 amount drops $5,000 every year for the first five years. That's so that you're actually stabilizing neighborhoods. This program is not for people who want to be in a house for a year or two. This program is for people who, who are buying for the long term, at least five years, because you're not stabilizing the neighborhood if you don't. So all that's part of a security instrument that's recorded. It's not an actual, you don't actually owe NACA anything unless you break the owner occupancy you know, requirement, you know, the, the eligibility requirement. So you don't actually owe us anything. When, if you sell or move out after five years, you don't have to pay anything. If you sell within the first five years, and it's case by case, we'll never make you pay more than the proceeds from your sale. So you know, if your proceeds... Even if the five, you know, the twenty-five thousand dollars, and you're in their first year, you you owe it all. Your proceeds are three, you know, only three thousand. You would lose to three thousand, um, but well, you wouldn't have to pay the additional twenty-two thousand. I hope that made sense to everyone, because um, we don't want we don't want to collect the money. That's just putting teeth in our eligibility requirement. That's putting teeth in. You need to be there for five years and stabilize the neighborhood through owner occupancy. You, need, you know, you need to, we need to make sure that you don't rent out the property after you purchase it. So great question, Cynthia. Um, but it's not a $25,000 loan. It's called a soft second. You never actually make payments to that loan um, unless you do something wrong. And, exactly. and it's a lump sum payment. And I'm glad you cleared it up like that, Ari, because we did. I think we've gotten that question once before, I believe, when the regionals came on. So I think we just need to kind of keep rehashing that to make sure it's clear. Thank you, Cynthia. Robin, Robin is asking a good question. She's saying, <clears throat> you're saying that a person can close within 21 days. If a person lived in an apartment, uh, when is the best time to notify my landlord? She's saying, in my case, my, her lease requires a two-month notice and she can't do month to month. They don't allow month to month. Will there be a guarantee that, uh, that we will close on time? What an excellent question. No. We will never guarantee closings. So you never know what happened. Think about it. If we had guaranteed closings right before COVID, you know, we wouldn't be able to live through We'd those be guarantees. in trouble. And that's, what, that's exactly right. Um, sometimes 
an inspection will reveal something late in the process, an appraisal will come in late, late in the process and doesn't meet value. So things can happen. I mean, we work really hard to make sure anything within our control you know, goes as smoothly as possible. So your real core of your question is, when is the best time to give notice? Um, the, the best answer for that is when you receive your clear to close. Um, so when you mm-hmm. know- I love that. When it's a bird in the hand, right? I love that. Uh, not the two in the bush, but, but I understand <laughs> your concern because you're saying I have a couple of extra months if it takes me two months. Um, look at your buyout clause in your lease. So sometimes a buyout clause that could be less expensive than the two months. Also, and also consider, um, I think I've said this before, that when you buy a house, never make it back to back where you have a weekend to move out. You're going you're gonna to spend way too much money. You're going to stress yourself out. Make sure you have the apartment for almost a month, if not a whole month, and the house. That gives that puts you in position to clean clean the house without furniture and all that stuff in there. You know, um, I won't gross you out talking about dust mites and the things that people leave behind their house. But if you're going to rip up carpets, you know, paint all that stuff, you really want to do that before you're forced to rush into move move into the house and at your own pace. That's exactly right. If Time goes by really fast when you just bought a house and you're trying to get that house cleaned and fixed to your liking because it gets way harder once you move your furniture in. I made the mistake and I've, I've always cleaned the houses and made sure I had them both, but I just put in new carpets upstairs and, and then realized that the floors squeak. And, you know, if I, had, if I didn't have furniture up there, it'd be easy to just lift the carpets, you know, put in new subflooring and, and fix the problem. Now it's a challenge because the furniture is already there. It's trying to, give you something you can relate to, you know, it's good to have your apartment and the house for a whole month, at least I'd say at least two weeks. But for the I know month, that's right. Better. That is actually good advice. And that keeps the stress off of you. You know, why not do that? And you move at your own pace. You go, y'all know we got to go in there and clean our way. We can't let the land, the, the previous owner say, oh, but we had it clean. We had it professionally clean. No, it ain't clean until it gets homeowner clean. You know that. <laughs> that's that pine saw commercial. It ain't pine until it's pine saw pine. <laughs> But anyway, that, that was a good one. Thank you so much. And now we're up to you, Javard. And this is a good one. Javard is asking, how does it work if you're on a fixed income? So Javard is on Social Security and he was just he, he just became disabled at the beginning of this year. And he's been looking for a home. How does his how does this affect him? Well, Social Security disability is one of the most stable incomes that you could possibly have. So in terms of your mortgage process, it'll make it actually smoother. You know, I'm, you know, sorry, sorry that you just want a disability this year. Um, so bust some prayers about that. But, you know, you'll, you'll have to use that income. You know, you might have additional income. So some people who collect Social Security disability uh, have an opportunity to make some additional income and we'll combine them both. Um, but if you're not obligated to pay taxes on that income and you don't even have to file taxes and that's your only income, well, actually gross that income up. It's called grossing it up to 125%. So for easy math, if, if your income was $1,000 a month, we'd actually calculate it at $1,250 a month for your ratios. Because we're trying to compare apples to apples. People who have to pay taxes, you know, the money they have to work with is reduced. If you don't have to pay taxes on the type of income you have, then we'll factor that in and add that to the income. Wow. Again, um, 
Customizing. Eric, I, I don't know. You're going to be the customizing king by the time this show is over. Because once again, you just showed how NACA, the NACA program is a custom fit yet again. I don't, do the banks do that? I don't think the banks do that. Um, some of them do. So it depends on what mortgage program you're working with. So some gross up. Now you keep in mind, you can only, if you don't have to file at all, gross up to 125. If you do file taxes though, and then when you file, you reduce the percentage of the taxes that you pay to say 11% because of your income and the way you file, then we can only gross up to the amount of taxes you pay. So we'd only be able to gross up to 111% in that case. But for most, for, so for people who are getting social security disability, and if that's their only income, um, generally speaking, they will not have to file taxes. Love it. Okay. Gross all the way up to the 125. Wow. So Javard, I'm looking for you. You keep looking for that house. It's going to happen for you, honey. That's it right there. Thank you, Eric. And, and I'm sorry, um, Javard. So if, if I, you know, I'm not sure what your income is. I've seen some pretty high incomes on disability, um, particularly um, if it's veterans and, and if there's come, if it's stacked on top of retirement income and all that. But um, if the income is a bit lower, because um, that happens when, when it's social security, really look into grant programs out there. There's a lot of programs who can really help to make the housing payment affordable, you know, down payment assistance programs where you don't have to repay the money, where they work very similar to, you know, what I just talked about. You know, they give you $50,000 or so. And then after you stabilize the neighborhood after five or 10 years, you never have to pay it back. Um, some programs and cities have houses that are worth a lot more money, but they'll sell it to true low moderate income people and or people with disabilities, you know, and or certain demographics of the community. So look into those types of programs as well. Um, I, I've, I've seen amazing things. I've seen, you know, you know, young in my career, I've seen a young man who could only afford about $400 a month, you know, just under $400 a month as his payment. He had a disability, he, uh, he was blind, um, worked with him, he worked with some grants. He worked with an in-house agent on Nathan Davis in Charlotte and using these grants and, you know, and, and, and he was super motivated and he made a lot of the phone calls himself and found all these programs and ended up buying in a community that was up and coming back then, um, Terry community. His, he called me not too long ago and said, Eric, can you believe the house I bought, you know, back in 2005 is now worth almost a million dollars. What? Amazing. What? Yeah, he bought a nice little brick house using a bunch of bunch of grants in a neighborhood that was changing back then. And now it's one of the most desirable neighborhoods in the city. Once again, it is the biggest Ooh. investment you'll ever make. And the wealth is always in the land. Now that's generational wealth right there. I love it. I love Amen. it. Oh, and my he can goodness, afford his payment, right? I mean, and he's got that affordable payment. Wow. He took oh on a couple goodness. of orders. You know, a couple of his friends are uh, living with him and renting. So Look basically, there. you know, he has additional income. So it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, Throw up the hearts. You just gave another key to the mint. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Ozzy, it again. We're, coming at you. <laughs> we're coming at you, Ozzy. Ozzy's asking a good question, Eric. Ozzy is saying, if I find a house that's $75,000, and I was approved through NACA by, for $175,000. Will I be able to use the remaining $100,000 for any updates and repairs on the home? The short answer is absolutely. So just the, the thing that's probably going to happen with that is we'll, get, we'll start with an as-is appraisal. And it's probably not going to appraise for the whole $175,000, the total amount of your loan. So the hand department will work, work with you. 
um, to figure out what upgrades and what you're going to do with the other 100,000. Then we'll order what's called a subject to appraisal, subject to the scope of work and the repairs. As long as it appraises for, and we'll do 110% loan to value now that you're out of rehab. So it doesn't even have to appraise for 175,000. It has to appraise just under that. So we'll go to 110%. So um, I'm trying to do math in my head. You know, you'll have to appraise for about 166 or you know, 160 some odd or so. And then you can right. still borrow the 175000 So it is possible you can do it and not even max Short out answer. the loan amount still. Correct. Short answer is yes. You can absolutely Thank use the you. extra 100000 in your qualification um, to make a purchase. Go for it, Ozzy. Go for it. The biggest so key Marcia, to that working. Oh, go ahead, Damien. I'm sorry. The biggest key to that working is getting the house well below the market. Because mm -hmm. if it's up, there's no wiggle room. So as he said, getting it for seventy five as opposed to 150 or 140 makes the biggest difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Marika, Marika is asking, can you still buy a house if it appraised for less than the house is selling for? If, if you offer to pay the difference, can it be included in your mortgage? No, the difference cannot be included in the mortgage. So you can still buy the house if you have the cash. You know, you're paying more than the house is worth or more than an independent third party disinterested party says it's worth. Um, but you can. I mean, you can purchase it, but you have to have the cash to pay the difference. Easy math. If it appraised for 90000 the sales price is 100000 You can't get the seller to reduce it to the 90000 You, in order for you to purchase, you would have to pay the 10000 out of pocket. You could only borrow the 90000 the amount it appraised for. And why would, I don't even want to go into that because I don't think I would want to offer more than what the house is actually worth because I'm walking in now upside down, but I guess people have reasons for doing that desirable school districts, whatever. Exactly, a very competitive market. So I'm, I am seeing people pay more than houses are worth um, in, in our segment of the market, you know, low moderate income, where we focus on only people with truly low moderate income or purchasing in a low moderate income community. I'm even seeing it in higher income communities where people are paying way more than the house is worth. Um, wow. The problem is you have to pay the difference out of pocket. And generally speaking, to your point, you know, now you're going upside down. But frankly, that's not what we're worried about because the market can change tomorrow. You know, our houses can all be worth less or more than they're worth today. Um, the key is that your payment is affordable and that house is the right house for you. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I know guys, this is, I can't believe it. When I look at the time and I'm trying to figure out where it goes, Eric, do you have time for one more question really, sure. really quick? Leslie is asking, can she give, can, can someone gift her money for the MRF? We mean the minimum required funds. Absolutely. Um, gift money does have to come from, a source that makes sense, family, someone who would give you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, or even ten thousand, tens of thousands of dollars without an expectation of being repaid. You know, usually it's parents or people who raised you, siblings, people who grew up in your same household. So just keep it in mind. Um, it could be a friend, but you're going to have to make sense of a friend giving you, you know, ten thousand dollars if that's a gift, for example. Wow, Damien, can you believe the time? I'm just Eric, mad. 
Oh my God, guys, what we're going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to document, you know, Tanisha, <laughs> Leslie, Dawn, Katina, I'm going to, I'm going to document the questions and see if we can put the answers uh, back on our social media platforms and things like that. Eric, That's it's so just awesome. never, we just need to just put Eric just like once a month, just have him on the show. Cause I just don't believe this. Eric, I don't even think once a month, it might be you. once a week. <laughs> Happy to do it. These are great questions, by the way. And, the, you know, and uh, yeah, I want to finish with this, guys. I understand your frustration when you have these great questions that are pretty basic and you're a true situation and you don't have somebody accessible to answer it quickly. So um, I will continue doing my best to be on the radio show, answer the questions that you guys give me on the forums and put them out there so you have accurate information that you can work with. So this process works for you. Absolutely. And Carolyn, I did get your phone number. I know that you were serious about the Orlando and Tampa with Eric. I definitely will try to see what he's able to do and see when he's able to do it and get back with you. Thank you so much for that offer. She did call back and say she's she's definitely serious about this. She has a an organization and she represents a, a small union that could really use the help. And that's what we're all about, helping others achieve their dream of home ownership using America's best mortgage. And that is the NACA program. So as always, thank you guys for joining us. You can always reach us, like us, love us, do anything you want to do with us on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you can always find information at www.naca.com. You guys have a great day. Eric, thank you so much. Damien, take it away. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We will see you next week. Same time, same bad station. Again, NACA's American Dream Program. We thank you for sharing with us. Be safe. Mask up. Do you want to make a difference in your community and help build a stronger neighborhood? Become an active force locally as an activist. Create long-lasting changes in your community with the full support of NACA, one of the largest national nonprofit organizations fighting for economic justice. NACA's success is based on the active participation of over 2 million members advocating for affordable homeownership and economic justice. To learn more about NACA and how you can join a NACA to fight for economic justice in your neighborhood, visit NACA.com today. Do you want to know why NACA is the best mortgage in America? Let's hear why from NACA homeowners themselves. My name is Alicia Ford. Um, I purchased my home with NACA about a year and a half ago. I highly recommend it and it gives everybody a fighting chance at owning an affordable home with a mortgage that you can afford without some of the crazy lending practices that we know that are out there. To find out how NACA can make your dream of owning your home a reality, visit us at NACA.com. Are you tired of paying astronomical prices in rent? Do you think owning your own home is an impossible dream because you can't afford a down payment or have a bad credit score? Welcome to NACA. We're revolutionizing mortgage lending with the best in America mortgage. No down payment, no closing costs or fees, no PMI, no consideration of your credit score, and at a below market fixed rate. For more than 30 years, NACA has been in the forefront stabilizing communities through affordable home ownership for low to moderate income working people. To find out more information about NACA, visit us at NACA.com. That's NACA.com. Do you want to know why NACA is the best mortgage in America? Let's hear why from NACA homeowners themselves. My name is Barbara Milan. I bought my forever home. I'm not planning on moving again. And it's all because of NACA. I wouldn't have been able to afford the home that I'm living in um, without the NACA program. To find out how NACA can make your dream of owning your home a reality, visit us at NACA.com.
Thanks for listening. NACA's American Dream Program is a production of the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, a national nonprofit organization fighting for economic justice through affordable homeownership and community advocacy. To learn more about NACA and our advocacy efforts, careers, NACA's Best in America Mortgage, or to join a NACA in your community, visit us at NACA.com.